Let's let her rip on another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Find out what's going on here with a little ditty we call the Round Table. It's anything but round, but you'll be well-rounded in your knowledge by the time you're done with Midday today. And we start off with uh, Shaley Peters, uh, who is reporting for us on our Ag Headlines. How are you, Shaley? I'm great, Dirk, and glad to be with you on Midday today. As we were visiting about ahead of time, our midday takes us all over the United States and the world, really. We're going to call it our globe-trotting ag department today. Yes, yes, and it'll kick off. We won't go too far. At 1219 with Bryce Duskett, he talks with Ken Hellebang. He is a North Dakota State University Extension agent talking about storing grain in bins. Of course, that's important this time of year anyway. But with the amount of grain farmers are uh, choosing to store on farm uh, these days, it's kind of an important topic. Make sure you're doing that right. So he'll talk with him at 1219. At 1245, our newsmaker, Susan Littlefield, is on with Agricultural Secretary Sonny Perdue as he travels to Europe through and to Europe uh, this week. He talks from everything, the G7 to GIPSA. Of course, that GIPSA came out yesterday. And so uh, a lot of reaction to that and visiting with Secretary Perdue uh, as he travels through Europe. And then at 117, our Bruce Garter is on uh, talking to farmers. He's at the Global Farmer Roundtable right now and visiting with a Maryland farmer, Jennifer Smith. And one thing Bruce mentioned, he said they truly do come from all over uh, the world to visit. So he's talking to a gal from Maryland, but he's talked to people from Australia, all over the world, uh, kind of a neat event. And we'll have continuing coverage from him as that uh, rolls on throughout this week. So a worldly midday from the farm department today. <laughs> all right. Thank you very much, Shaley. We'll check in with you a little bit later on for more information. And it is uh, Jason Jorgensen. I guess we've got uh, Mike Riley has a little bit of history with his new boss. Huh? Well, he does. Of course, he knows Bill Moose because those two were, uh, well, they were in the same state. Right. Where Moose was at Washington or in the same conference. They were pretty close. As, uh, Moose was there at Washington State while Riley was at Oregon State. And this week, Mike Riley was asked what he thought about his new boss. We'll let you uh, hear what that has to say. Big matchup for Kansas State on Saturday. They will try to knock off Oklahoma. Of course, the Wildcats have struggled in recent weeks, and Oklahoma is still trying to figure out how they were beaten by Iowa State a while back. But we'll get the thoughts of Coach Bill Snyder on that. Also, uh, two more baseball games today. Hard to believe but the Dodgers could finish off the Cubs tonight after they lead that series three games to none. And Boy, no one could just put away the Yankees. They get down and then... Find a way to stay alive. They tied up the series last night at 2 with Houston. Game 5 is set for tonight back in Houston. Pivotal. Pivotal Game (laughs) 5. That's what they always say. Yeah, right. If you buy enough horses, though, as the Yankees always do, it seems like there's always a little life at the end of the season. That is true. Bob Brogan on business. Stocks open higher today as health care companies and banks rose. Also, uh, construction of new homes fell a little bit in September. Um, you know, other issues, there's a, uh, a new partner. Anthem has found a new partner to help run prescription drug coverage. And uh, President Trump says the U.S. faces a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity on taxes. Those are the stories we're watching. All right, all this and more coming up today on Midday. 
And lo and behold, it is Paul Perkins who sits down with some regional ag weather for us, brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, and uh, just a brief flirtation with fall again, and then we're back to nearly summer again. Yes, it's going to warm up. Uh, still going to be very nice for today, just a slight cool down for today, but we do have some temperatures that will start warming right back up for tomorrow and Friday. Also a little bit of wind as we head towards the end of the week here. Right now, uh, we are looking at a cold front dropping south through the region. That's going to help our temperatures be just a little bit cooler for today. Yesterday, a lot of locations making it into the upper 70s and low 80s. We are seeing some upper 70s right now as you head towards northeast Colorado, but that will be cut back with this cold front dropping south through the region. It's a Pacific cold front, so it won't drop our temperatures a whole lot. It will switch those winds around to the north this afternoon and just slightly cool the temperatures off. High pressure moves overhead for tonight. That'll quiet the winds down and also keep the skies clear. And temperatures tonight just about seasonal to above seasonal for this time of year. Some dry and warm weather expected to stick around all the way through Friday as the high pressure ridge moves east across the plains. Our temperatures will remain about 10 to 15 degrees warmer than normal. Winds will become breezy out of the south in advance of some low pressure approaching from the west. Then we'll see a cold front move through for Friday night into Saturday, and some rain will be possible with that front by Friday night in west and central areas, probably eastern areas on Saturday. Looks like our better chances of rain with this front going to be farther east in eastern Nebraska and Kansas when that cold front moves through during the peak heating of the day by Saturday. Winds expected to be breezy behind this front out of the north on Saturday, and our temperatures expected to be uh, cooling back to more near normal or seasonal levels for the weekend and early next week. But it looks like we can continue to look forward to mainly mild weather in our long-term forecast. Temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas are forecast to be mostly warmer than normal Monday all the way through Halloween. Now in central Nebraska during late October, those daytime highs usually average in the low 60s and also start cooling to average highs in the upper 50s by the end of the month. And we will be above normal once again on that. Overnight lows usually average in the low half of the 30s. Some great harvest progress should be made in the last third of the month. There's a very high likelihood Nebraska, Kansas, and nearly all of the western two-thirds of the U.S. will receive below normal rainfall from Monday through Halloween. Weather factors in the market include more dry conditions that help out the harvest progress in the Midwest and some rain chances in central Brazil. A period of mild, tranquil weather will be followed by the return of stormy conditions in several areas of the U.S. by the end of the week. Towards the end of the week, some rain expected near a cold front from the upper Great Lakes south to the western Gulf Coast. For the time being, those harvest conditions in the Midwest continue to improve over the next seven days. Any rain that does fall in the Midwest will be mostly light and occur in the south and east areas. Dry and mild conditions are helping out with harvest and field work in the northern plains, also the delta, and the southeast U.S. Dry conditions in the southern plains resulting in favorable conditions for wheat planting and the harvest of their summer crops. Scattered rain is now forecast in central Brazil through the end of the week. That south, the southern areas of Brazil will receive more widespread coverage at heavier amounts. Central Brazil continues to be watched for dry conditions slowing down their planting. Central Argentina forecast to see light to moderate rain through the end of the week, and that is improving their conditions for fieldwork. Paul Perkins with our regional ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. And just as we sat down here, it seems to me as though the Winds have gone from west about 5 to northwest at 13. That means we're starting to see that change already, I think. Yep, yes, I think it's basically starting to move in and right along I-80, and it'll continue to move a lot further to the south. 
Probably northern Kansas not seeing a lot of cooling with this system. Colby right now already up to 79, but they're getting that compressed air. Yeah. Just like when you're pumping up an air tire, that front kind of compressing the air and really warming those Gets temperatures up. Yeah. All right, when you need weather anytime, it's krvn.com. Secretary Sonny Perdue has been in Europe talking American agriculture. Shaley Peters joining you here with a midday check of your ag news. His travels have taken him all over the European Union and more specifically into the UK where he says they had a good discussion that touched on their exit from the EU. I met with uh, Michael Gove, uh, Secretary of State for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs. We obviously talked with him about uh, agricultural issues, import-export issues, and recognizing that they are in the transition period from the EU and still a member, so it's several months away before we could do any kind of bilateral negotiations with them, but setting the stage for future relationships. Find Secretary Purdue's full comments on our audio-video tab at ruralradio.com. And in other ag news, Kansas State University is strengthening its reputation as the Silicon Valley for biodefense. The university is featured in several sections of the Blue Ribbon Study Panel on Biodefense's special bipartisan report released today. The report, titled Defense of Animal Agriculture, is based on a January 2017 series of agro-defense discussions conducted at Kansas State University. There's no question that Kansas State University is a national leader in animal health, agriculture, and food safety research, said K-State University President Richard Myers. Our expertise, facilities, and research programs show how we are contributing to the national discussion surrounding agro-defense and biodefense. We appreciate the recognition of our efforts from the Blue Ribbon Study Panel for Biodefense. And coming off of yesterday's news that Secretary Purdue plans on abandoning the GIPSA rules, not all farm groups are on board with that. RCAF USA CEO Bill Bullard issued the statement after yesterday's announcement saying Secretary Purdue just handed the entrenched multinational trade associations and their high-dollar lobbyists a huge victory on the backs of hard-working U.S. farmers and ranchers. The Secretary's decision to take no further action on the proposed rule that would have, after 95 years, finally implemented the Packers and Stockyards Act prohibitions against unfair and anti-competitive buying practices is deeply troubling. National Farmers Union President Roger Johnson was also disappointed and issued the following statement saying, It is deeply disappointing the USDA did not side with family farmers in the long-contested debate over rules for the Packards and Stockyards Act. The Farmer Fair Practice rules offered a basic yet important first step to addressing the unfair practice that family farmers and ranchers face in extremely consolidated meatpacking industries. And deer has won a trademark lawsuit in protection of the green and yellow colors. A U.S. district court in Kentucky has ruled in favor of Deer and Company in a lawsuit that was filed to protect use of the trademark green and yellow color combination on John Deere agricultural equipment. Following a one-week bench trial that took place in June, the U.S. district court in Paducah, Kentucky, has now found in favor of Deer. The court decision permanently bans the use of the John Deere colors by Fimco Incorporated, a South Dakota company that manufactures and markets agricultural sprayers under the Ag Spray Equipment brand name. Deere said the lawsuit is part of an ongoing and vigorous effort to protect the company's trademarks and intellectual property. 
The court gave FEMCO 60 days to file with the court a plan on how it will comply with the permanent ban. That's a look at your midday ag news. For more, you can always visit ruralradio.com. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network. Bryce Deuce, get back with you here on the Rural Radio Network. While the amount of grain in storage continues to increase across the U.S., corn stocks are up 32% from September 2016, and that's currently at 2.29 billion bushels with almost 800 million bushels stored on farm. Soybean stocks also up 53% to a little over 300 million bushels with nearly 90 million bushels stored on farms. And, of course, maintaining grain quality during extended storage will require extra care and talking more about that topic is North Dakota State Extension Service Agricultural Engineer Ken Hellevang joins me on the phone right now. And Ken, we've got two different types of storage we're going to talk about today. And the first is the 2016 crop, kind of going into the second year now. Let's start there and talk about the managed practices that we need to be considered of this time of year. Well, the first thing that I would encourage people to do is to do a, a thorough assessment of what the grain condition is. Uh, have we maintained the quality uh, that we put into storage? Are there any uh, insect problems or other uh, deterioration taking place? Uh, and then based on that, we can make a decision as to, is this grain that I really should try to store for uh, a longer period of time? And the other part of it would be uh, to start uh, controlling the grain temperature. It's critical that we cool the grain as quickly as we can. I kind of use the the rule of thumb that our storage life roughly doubles for every 10 degrees that we cool the grain. So it makes a big difference whether we're storing grain at 70 degrees or 60 degrees just from a, a grain deterioration mold growth perspective. Also, if there's any potential for insect infestations, uh, the cooler the grain, the the less problems that we're going to have. Ken, let's switch gears to the 2017 crop being put in the bins right now. Let's first talk about what people should be considering before you put any grain into that bin. Well, in addition to the the normal things that we would do from a storage standpoint, uh, you know, cleaning the bins, making sure that the the aeration systems and everything are functional. Uh, I think we again need to look at the quality of the grain. That any uh, damage to the kernel uh, affects its storability. So if we have broken kernels, if we have light test weight grain, anything that's immature, all of that's going to affect the the storability or how long we think that we can store the grains. What is the biggest issue you've seen over the past couple of years? Is it mold growth? Is it insects getting in grain bins? What's been the uh, the biggest damage factor? As we're storing grain longer, I think that we're we're seeing really two different things that are affecting us. One is certainly insects, uh, and the other is some deterioration that takes place. Uh, it's important to remember that we can store corn, for example, at 15% moisture as long as, as the outdoor temperatures and grain temperatures are cool. But as we start going into spring and summer, 
that corn moisture really needs to be down to somewhere between 13 and 14 percent moisture. That was North Dakota State Extension Service Agricultural Engineer Ken Hellevang. For more on this topic, you can go to ruralradio.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network, Bryce Duskid reporting. We're in the middle of midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, Nebraska football coach Mike Riley has the interesting scenario of getting a new boss in the middle of the football season, and he talks about his first meeting with new athletic director Bill Moose. It was very, very uh, social. You know, we, we've known Bill and I have known each other for quite a few years, and I happened to have been in the building around that time. So I just had a brief meeting with him, kind of a hello and congratulations meeting. And, you know, we kind of talked about old times more than the future times. Now, the Huskers have the week off before playing at Purdue next Saturday. Well, this Saturday, K-State will look to improve their 3-3 three and three record, but it won't be easy when the Wildcats host ninth-ranked Oklahoma. Five and one Sooners are led by Heisman Trophy candidate Baker Mayfield. The Coach Snyder talks about the Sooner signal caller. Well, I think he's continued to grow. I think his confidence level, you can see, has been very beneficial for them. His leadership has stepped up. I think what he's always been able to do, and now to even a greater level, is he has a good vision. You know, he's able to find open receivers. You know, he knows how to go through his progression. Has a good understanding of defenses, it appears to me. You know, and, and part of the benefit is, uh, you know, his offensive line's done a nice job protecting him. Kickoff time between the Sooners and Wildcats on Saturday is set for three in Manhattan. With the AL Championship Series tied at two games apiece, Dallas Keuchel pitches for the Astros against Masahiro Tanaka of the Yankees tonight. Keuchel's 6-2 and two with a 1.09 ERA in eight career starts versus the Yankees, including a pair of scoreless playoff outings. 2015 AL Cy Young Award winner tossed seven shutout innings and struck out ten to beat New York in Game 1. Now the winner of this one heads to Houston, needing just one more victory to reach the World Series. Game 5 is set for this afternoon at 4.08. And one win from the first World Series appearance in 29 years. The Dodgers go for a four-game sweep of the Cubs in the NL Championship Series at Wrigley tonight. L.A. is 6-0 this postseason, setting a franchise record for consecutive playoff victories. Another one would give the storied franchise its 22nd pennant. The Dodgers' only four-game postseason sweep came in the 1963 World Series against the Yankees. Tonight's game should start around 8.08 Central Time. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Clear skies across the state tonight, lows around 40. I'm Dave Schroeder. IT experts are warning of a new vulnerability in wireless encryption software called WPA2 that is in use by wireless devices all over the world. Alec Foster is the IT director at Gothenburg State Bank. He talks about what the threat is and what to do about it. Whatever it is the individual is doing, um, they can infect malware onto your device that's using the Wi-Fi uh, update everything you should do that always anyway doesn't matter if you have a mac or a pc or an iphone or a android device of any kind anything that connects wirelessly needs to be updated foster said wpa2 is the newest and was considered the best wireless encryption software so it is a big issue because most devices use it U.S. Senator Ben Sass is seeking answers from the Department of Veterans Affairs following reports that VA employees kept a secret waiting list 
of patients from Nebraska and Iowa that obscured the actual wait times for veterans who sought appointments. SAS sent a letter to the department after the Omaha World Herald reported that an audit included whistleblower complaints about unauthorized lists for appointments at the VA's mental health psychotherapy clinic in Omaha. VA officials acknowledged the audit's conclusions but wouldn't say how many Nebraska or Western Iowa veterans were affected. They also declined to say who kept the unauthorized list and why or say how many employees were involved. SAS says the agency's refusal to answer questions is unacceptable and must be remedied immediately. A fire has heavily damaged an apartment building in northern Lincoln at the Black Sand Apartment Homes reported around 5 a.m. today, and more than a dozen fire trucks eventually were dispatched as flames leapt from the roof. No injuries reported. The fire was brought under control by 6.15 a.m. The cause of the fire is being investigated. The University of Colorado is eliminating all course and program fees starting in the fall of 2018. The Daily Camera reports that the eliminated fees will collectively save students $8.4 million a year. And police are looking for a man accused of shooting five people at his workplace in northeastern Maryland, killing three. They say the suspect is armed and dangerous. They've identified him as 37-year-old Rady Lahib Prince after this morning's shooting. Breaking stories, weather, and traffic when you follow us on Facebook and Twitter. In the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue traveled to Europe this week. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. The Ag Secretary began his trip meeting with officials in London before taking part in the G7 ministerial. He then traveled to the United Nations Food and Ag Organization in Rome, where he and other G7 Ag ministers uh, were joined by Pope Francis at the World Food Day observance. His trip will also ended up in Madrid, where he attended the Taste of America event. We get more from the Ag Secretary. We are concluding a multi-day uh, trip to Europe, uh, beginning in the UK last Thursday and uh, where I met with members of Parliament, uh, particularly the Chairman of the Environment, Food and Rural Affairs Committee, Mr. Neil Parrish. And then uh, the next day I met with uh, Michael Gove, uh, Secretary of State for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs. We obviously talked with them about uh, agricultural issues, import-export issues, and recognizing that they are in the transition period from the EU and still a member, so it's several months away before we could do any kind of bilateral negotiations with them, but setting the stage for future relationships. Then uh, we went on to uh, uh, Italy, to Bergamo, Italy, where the ministerial, ag ministerial meeting of the G7 was uh, conducted. Uh, met with uh, Graciana De Silva, who is the Director General of the Food and Ag Organization of the United Nations. We talked about various issues there and then uh, conducted bilaterals with most of our other ministers with the G7, including Phil Hogan, the EU Commissioner for Agriculture and Rural Development. And we had, of course, the general plenary sessions of the G7 both uh, both days there in, uh, in Bergamo, uh, Italy. Then we moved down uh, yesterday, I guess, I lose track of time, to uh, Rome, where we participated in the World Food Day. Uh, you may have seen the news with Pope Francis 
addressed us and the G7 ministers there in committing to uh, addressing worldwide hunger and food security. And uh, I stress the fact that we needed to use good science-based standards to make sure that we can achieve those goals. So we had a good uh, good visit there, again, with the ministers as well. And then overnight came down to uh, concluding our, our trip to uh, uh, Madrid, Spain, and we here had a good visit this morning with the minister, uh, not only of agriculture, the deputy minister this morning, uh, but the secretary of commerce uh, here in a uh, bilateral discussion this morning. The Minister of Agriculture, the Secretary of Agriculture, was called away to some of their uh, forest fires in Galicia. It's very similar to the California fires, and it's up in the northwest of Spain. And she and the President were there this morning, but I will be meeting with her here when we conclude our call as we uh, as we conclude our, our day here in Spain. The Ag Secretary, of course, was ready to talk about GYPSA and the move made by the USDA. Uh, I want to assure you that USDA and GIPSA uh, remain committed to fair trade practices and financial integrity and competitive markets. I think the, the concern was is that this uh, rule as proposed would lead to unnecessary and unproductive uh, litigation in many ways. We believe that the initial uh, Packers and Stockyards Act uh, indicated that it should be uh, uh, helping in facilitating competition, not necessarily one-on-one uh, litigation, and I think uh, the courts have affirmed that. I think Congress uh, has declined to intervene in any of that. So uh, my goal at this point is to make sure to the industry, both those in the production side and those in the buying and the and the and processing side, that we uh, abide by the USDA motto, and that's do right and feed everyone. And uh, we'll be watching to make sure that our producers individually and collectively are not disadvantaged unfair, uncompetitive rules that they operate under, and I look forward to doing that. We will uh, be having those discussions with the uh, with the industry, both those who produce and those who process in a way to make sure that we treat one another fairly and not in a predatory fashion. I think, again, these are, these are moral actions that I don't know, believe that regulations and litigation actually solve. In fact, I believe that it had the potential for harming the very people that it was intended to protect, and I think in a very unwise way. And with a variety of different stops while he was in Europe and meeting with the folks in the G7, he said it was a great time for him to talk trade. That We wanted to make uh, trade deals based on sound science uh, discovery and not perceived myths. Uh, I also had the occasion in Europe, uh, or in UK rather, to address that both with Mr. Parrish and Secretary Gove regarding their disparaging of U.S. poultry. Uh, interestingly, uh, they still refer to it as uh, bathed in chlorine, which most of us know that is not a processing option that's used commonly in the U.S. today. But there seems to be used hiding behind sanitary, phytosanitary excuses uh, simply for protectionism purposes. And uh, one of the things I've been uh, saying very strongly is that we need to be very transparent, very honest with one another. Comments coming from Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue during his conference call while in Europe. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Next, we get an assessment of this livestock futures trade, and it was a little bit volatile today. Joining us is Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities.
Yeah, it was a little bit volatile. Uh, started out lower in the cattle, uh, came back about uh, mid-session uh, uh, with the uh, cutouts coming out uh, a little bit higher in the choice, and uh, that began a rally. Now, we were a bit oversold from uh, the day before anyway, and uh, bounced back to a close moderately higher, so uh, not a bad day for the live cattle. Feeders, uh, eh, they didn't uh, fare so well. They finished lower. Um, choppy day there. Uh, really never got uh, got started on, a, on any kind of a rally. As far as the whole cattle complex, uh, you know, we have a cattle on feed report, and there's a lot of consternation over what that report's going to say and uh, how to interpret it. And uh, that's going to keep us, I think, uh, very choppy uh, going into that report. No uh, cash trade that I've heard of to speak of of any consequence so nothing there over in the hogs performed pretty well today once again led by the cash cash coming in a little bit higher cutouts were off at noon uh, but uh, that didn't seem to hold us back Uh, we even had a triple digit gain out of the uh, nearby December so positive day in the uh, hogs and the live cattle not so much in the feeders Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Call 800-328-0134. Week-to-date estimate on cattle slaughter so far, 345,000, 6,000 less than a week ago, 2,000 more than a year ago. Hog slaughter, 1,365,000, 24,000 less than a week ago, 41,000 more than one year ago. At this week's Global Farmer Network Roundtable, one of the participants is Jennifer Schmidt, who farms in the Delmarva region in eastern Maryland near the Chesapeake Bay. I asked her about her operation. So we're a third generation family farm. We grow predominantly corn and soybeans for the poultry industry, about 750 acres of each. Uh, We've diversified into um, vegetable growing. So we have two vegetable contracts. We grow Roma tomatoes, which are canning tomatoes for a company in Pennsylvania. And then we grow fresh market green beans, about 100 to 150 acres of green beans every year for a distributor on the eastern shore of Virginia. Um, And then we've also also diversified into grape production, wine grape production for the region's budding wine industry. So the way I describe our farm to consumers is we're a grocery store farm. We grow the ingredients that you purchase at the grocery store. That region is very diversified. There's a lot of different crops grown in the Chesapeake Bay area. Yes, there is. And uh, wheat is another one, soft red wheat for, for cookies and, and pastries and um, and pretzels. So, But there's a lot of different. There's lima beans and sweet corn and all kinds of vegetable production as well. Uh, we've also gotten into tofu market. So we have a farmer's co-op that grows tofu or or food-grade soybeans for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Philadelphia. We have that big urban market, not just in our backyard, um, for Asian food processing. So um, it's a smaller portion of the soybean acres, but um, it's still a way to diversify within the same crop. Being so close to the huge urban centers like that, how does that affect your operation? Um, I think it, it... 
it impacts us because of what they don't know or what they perceive they think they know about what we do or don't do. And a lot of that is, you know, media driven by the images of what they see farmers doing. And, you know, I'll explain to people when they come visit our farm and I have a sprayer with 90 foot booms and a 700 gallon tank that that is predominantly water. You know, when I'm out spraying a field, I may have 10 gallons of a product in there and 690 gallons of water. Their assumption is that tank is all all chemicals, all pesticides. And so just to talk about what you do in sort of real life terms, I think is really um, important for the urban consumer, for them to really understand, you know, what we do on our farms. At the round table, you were telling a story about uh, about chicken manure. You were trying to try, trying to broker some of that, and it just didn't work. Tell us that. Yeah. So this year, we tried to source about a thousand tons of manure. So we were planning on um, three tons per acre, and we were going to use that on our corn ground. Um, you know, the manure has a lot of organic matter. We we farm in coastal plains, so it's sandy loam soil. So anything we can do to build up our organic matter, improve our, our, our nutrient sources, there's so much micronutrients beyond nitrogen and, and phosphorus in chicken litter um, that would benefit the soil. Um, but it's be given, be given such a bad rap by the environmental community that it's polluting the bay that we were really unable to source any local fertilizer. So we did end up using all commercial fertilizer, um, which we have access to, but it isn't our preferred nitrogen source. The family has been inducted into the Maryland Governor's Agriculture Hall of Fame and holds the highest agriculture stewardship certification for soil and natural resources conservation. And as an advocate, Jenny has worked with the Ministry of Agriculture internationally in Botswana. I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. Grains drifted lower today, led by losses in wheat. Joining us is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Now, why did wheat lead the way lower? Boy, that's a question. Why, uh, <laughs> it's just the weakest of the, of the group here on these slow trading days. I think the market's getting in more technical modes, and that trend is down, and you know, we're approaching delivery periods now with a little less than a month away from uh, the expiration, or a little more than a month away from the expiration of the options. And I think the trade just sees very little here uh, as a reason to price itself higher into that kind of event. You know, we're December 430 level sits quite a bit of well above where the September went into delivery. So I think, the, you know, the, the, the easier direction is down, and when the slower markets are here, uh, there just is little um, inspiration to buy it. And, uh, you know, maybe we get some, some, some bullish news here as we get to the end of the month and, you know, we start talking about acreage a little more. Well, it's surprising to see that we didn't have the big drops in corn and soybeans because of active harvest. No, and I think, you know, corn feels like it's pretty well priced here in, as far as that regard. We have very, very low volatility right now. Uh, you know, the options a week out are telling me not to expect a range more than, you know, five cents one way or the other in this market. So I think it's a buy at 345, it's a sell up at 355. My advice to anybody who's, who's storing grain and storing it themselves is we get a rally up to say 355, 360 on that December. That's when you want to look at price in March. I think that's, uh, you know, the, the, the opportunity there given the carry and the basis of appreciation. If you're, say, 30, 40 under the board right now and you can sell you sell, you know, what are you looking at, four, three, ten? If you can price it off the March, which is 15 higher, 
on a rally, maybe closer to 370, and the basis maybe comes back into 35 or 25, you're almost selling 25, 30 cents higher than where we are right now. So I think there's value in the carry. You got to use it. I know I've been stressing on that for a while. It's not as easy to, to do it as, as uh, you know, a lot of people would like to, like myself, would just say use it. But if you have storage on farm, it, it's it's an opportunity. You should be getting paid on that, and that's what this book is, is, is offering right now. Well, John, do you think we'll continue to just trade sideways in corn for a little while? Yes. I think I think that's the easiest direction. The breaks are going to get bought, especially as we fall down to the you know three thirty levels or so, and that puts cash sub three dollars. I think there's a lot of value. In fact, I mean the value really is buying physical corn right now. That's that's given the basis and, and the carry that's in the market. Buy it, store it immediately, store it immediately, and price it immediately. I mean the the, the gain is there. You just have to wait for for timing to deliver, and I think the basis will improve anyway. That's John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Go to danielsagmarketing.com for more.